0: And now, the Low Post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast, where the announcement that Kevin Durant would miss the next three or four games for the Brooklyn Nets has underscored the fact that the season, which is now two weeks old, is going to be the strangest season in the history of the NBA and one where we might arrive at the end of it, if we even arrive at the end of it, because what's going on in college sports and football has reminded us how precarious all of this is. Um, we may arrive at the end of the regular season, look at the standings and say, whoa, how did this team finish in the play-in? And wait, do what do we even really know about, about that team? Because players are going to miss games, unfortunately, for contracting COVID, for being exposed to someone who had COVID, for resting. Um, we're going to see copious use of rest in some places, I think, because again, some teams had a nine-month layoff. Some teams had a very small two-month layoff, and those teams are going to be in very different places on rest, on chemistry, on almost everything. Home teams, according to the geniuses at ESPN stats and information, are now 47-53, and 53, six games under five hundred through the first two weeks of the season. That is unprecedented if it holds up. Obviously, there are, are no fans or very limited numbers of fans. It's legitimately off-putting now to watch games on TV and see fans. That's, that's where we've arrived at. When I see fans, I'm like, wow, what, there are fans. What are they doing there? Why does that guy have his mask off eating a hot dog? It's, it's legitimately off-putting. Um, we have these baseball-style series where the road team comes in, plays one game, stays overnight, one night, two night, plays another game against the same team. Does home court advantage in that second game matter at all? The team is rested. The team's been in your city. There are no fans. It appears to not matter at all. Two weeks into the season, entering uh, Monday night's games, Cleveland, Phoenix, and New Orleans had the second, third, and fourth-ranked defenses in the NBA. I mean, what in the hell is that? Who expected that? Cleveland, they're doing it in very different styles. Cleveland has the highest rate of forcing turnovers basically in the history of the NBA. Can that keep up? And by the way, Cleveland, I saw the Cavaliers' Twitter account tweet out an advertisement for a new sweatshirt featuring the Colin Sexton Darius Garland backcourt and saying we can't endorse the nickname. They wouldn't even say the nickname. We can't endorse the nickname for obvious reasons. What is the obvious reason that you're lame? The nickname is Sexland. land. All it is is sex plus land. It's their two last names put together in a funny way. You need to go the opposite way and embrace sex land and make it part of your identity. Stop being babies. The Suns are not allowing any threes. Can that keep up? New Orleans is allowing a whole ton of threes to protect the paint, selling out to protect the paint. Can that keep up? I have no idea. In the East, Chicago's three and four, Washington's two and five, Charlotte's two and five, Toronto's one and five. All of those teams, every single one of them, most of us, including me, thought would be better than the Knicks and the Cavs who are above 500. The play-in tournament is going to be such a game-changer. Who in the East right now is out of contention for the play-in tournament? Maybe Detroit, who's 1-6, but kind of surprisingly frisky and competitive. That's it. Look, we're only seven games into the season, 10% of the way into the season. But if any of these trends persist for two more weeks and three more weeks or something wacky happens to one of the teams high in the standings— the Knicks, why not? Why can't they be in the play-in tournament? The Cavs, why not? Why can't they be in the play-in tournament? If Chicago, Washington, and Charlotte don't pick it up to at least sniff, it's not even 500, semi-500. 500. The play-in race in the East could be 14 teams wide. I mean, obviously, some teams are going to be above that. Then you have the Heat. The Heat are 3-3. Three and three. They don't even know who to start. They're starting a different lineup every night because they want to start Tyler Hero, and they don't want to start Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Duncan Robinson, because that's such a tiny lineup that forces Jimmy Butler, who, by the way, is averaging 10.8 points per game and was in single digits before Miami's win in Oklahoma City their day. Clearly, there's some bubble hangover happening there. With Dragic on the floor, the Heat are like plus 15 per 100. Without him, they're like minus 15 per 100. Do they have to start him? They don't know. They're taking a long view. They just got out of the bubble like yesterday in the west the west will have a little more separation in the end but dallas is off to an uneven start they started a new lineup last night against houston they started willie collie stein and maxi kleba shot blocking menace maxi kleba denver and the blazers are 28th and 29th in defense now did they profile as defensive juggernauts no but i don't care how good your offenses are and denver's is damn good you are going nowhere 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 interesting zippo nothing nothing good is happening to you if you're 28th and 29th on defense denver their defensive ranking has flown all over the place in the last five years you can't figure them out they're allowing fewer threes fewer shots at the rim than usual but they're getting smoked from both ranges will they will they will those numbers right themselves portland they're taking away nothing you can get to the rim you can get open threes they're playing if you are playing carmelo anthony and ennis canner together you are stopping nobody and they're playing lineups that have no chance defensively. Their starting lineup should be better than this. In fairness, again, they are integrating a new scheme. They're a little more aggressive this year with their help. They're a little more aggressive on screens. That takes time. But that's, that takes time and that takes chemistry. But that's what makes this season so weird is you don't know how much time and how much chemistry you're going to have. This season's going to have guys coming in and out of the lineup. And I just wonder if we get to the end of the regular season, we're going to look at the standings and say, Oh my God, what a mess. And we're going to look at each team individually and say, I know less about the true quality of this team, and this could go for every playoff team, than I have in any season in the history of the NBA because I don't know if I can trust their record. I don't know if I can trust their statistical indicators. I don't know what I can trust of anything in their resume. Maybe that will make the playoffs more exciting. Maybe it'll make the play more exciting. Maybe it won't. But this is going to be a wacky NBA season. And the only way you're really going to be able to figure it out is to watch it really carefully. When a team has its rotation intact, watch it really carefully. When a team has its rotation jumbled, you can still watch it, learn some stuff about a player who may be earning a a bigger role when the rotation is full again, or may slip out of that rotation. But the only way you're going to be able to figure out these teams is to watch because this is going to be an absolute crazy NBA season, one like we've never seen before, Maybe that's fun. Maybe it's not. Obviously, the important stuff is that everybody stays safe. But through two weeks, boy, oh, boy, is the NBA kind of confusing and strange and weird. And to help us sort out what's real and what's not real, if it's even possible, we're going to bring in uh, the great Richard Jefferson. All right, let's welcome in one of the rising stars in the NBA media landscape. Oh, NBA- you're so elite. NBA I'm champion. So you can see him all across the television. Uh, podcast expert. There's nothing you can't do. Apparently, Richard Jefferson. How are you, sir?
1: I am outstanding. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry, my kids are yelling for some reason in the background, but oh, the, a, you know, I
0: got remote learning going on two two doors over. It's a it's a it's a mess. It's life is just a mess. That's all. It's fine.
1: Yeah, and it's and I'm just annoyed because their teachers, uh, uh, which are my wife and the nanny aren't doing a good job of keeping him down. They're like, they're just not teaching them the inside voices. So uh, I appreciate you bearing with me and I appreciate you having me on, I'm on the low post podcast. Are you kidding me? Let's go.
0: I have found that it's generally a bad move to criticize the, the, the parenting of the other parent. When, if, if they are doing the bulk of the legwork, I just wouldn't say that out loud what you just said. If I said that out loud in my oh, oh, house, oh, I, I, I would be, it, I might be in the she, hospital.
1: But Zach, it's always very, very key. They don't listen to the low post podcast. So I could say whatever I want
0: right now. But they're they're just a couple rooms over there. i might hear you.
1: Oh yeah, they won't hear me because the kids are screaming. So they can't okay. hear what I'm saying. There we well, go. I,
0: I hope they're learning. Okay, so we're we're about two weeks into what promises to be if we even get through it, one of the strangest NBA seasons ever, maybe the strangest NBA season ever. I am just going to ask you, Richard Jefferson, observer of all things NBA, whether you believe or disbelieve in certain things. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do you believe that the four and three frisky (laughs) New York Knicks have a chance to hover around 500, make the play-in tournament? uh be an okay team they just beat uh they just beat the hawks on the road last night they killed the calves earlier this week uh what are your this is this is the other team in the new york city market they have a better record than the nets do you
1: believe it richard well first of all the fact that you call them the other team is just it just it just oozes like funniness to me right it's just like wow the knicks are the other team uh No, I do believe I do believe that this team can hover around, you know, the play in spot, the seven, eight spot. Like I do believe, uh, you know, Julius Randall is playing amazing. Uh, RJ Barrett is is playing like a top five pick, which he is. Uh, You just and when you say that, it's like, oh, well, he is a top five pick. It's like, no, but he's playing like a top five pick, you know, like a guy like Marvin Bagley you know, I know there's a whole nother issue there. He's not playing like a top five pick. So to have a guy actually pan out to be a talented player is key. But I I think for Nick fans, and this is one thing that I want, you know, the cool thing about what we do is we look at the history of sports, the history of players, history of coaches. Thibodeau is a very, very good coach, right? He was a good coach in Chicago. He was a very good coach, defensive coach in Boston. He was a good coach in Minnesota. But ultimately it's more about, the the arc of the franchise. Typically when Thibodeau shows up, things go well. You know, Minnesota made the playoffs for the first time and since Kevin Garnett left. All right, Kevin Garnett left. And all of a sudden Thibodeau leaves and the franchise goes back to where it is. So is he building the infrastructure that's needed for long-term success? Or is he just grinding these players out to be at a high level for you know a year or two?
0: Well Randall played almost the entire second half yesterday in Atlanta. But so far so on the surface, the Knicks look like the same Knicks from last year, like no shooting anywhere. It's just going to be Julius Randle and RJ Barrett driving into brick walls of defenders all over the place. But they you know this, you know it when you see it, like they are just playing with more purpose. They're cutting harder. They're making extra passes. Like, even Kevin Knox, who looked, frankly, lost for the first two seasons of his career, made a couple of nice extra passes, kick-out passes last night. They're just playing with a little verve and a little spirit. And I think what last night showed, and maybe the game before, but especially last night, that quickly kid might be good. And he can shoot. Yeah. And Austin mm-hmm. Rivers, for all you wanted to... First of all, I, I've i always had a soft spot for Austin Rivers. He's spunky. Mm-hmm. He's fearless. I like the faces he makes. He, looks, he pouts a lot. I just like everything about it. He can shoot. He's an average shooter. They have... When Burks comes back in particular, if Quickly is a legit rotation player, which he looks to be, mm-hmm. Toppin hasn't even played, they have vehicles to lineups that are not terrible shooting lineups which for they're all of like RJ Barrett is just yearning to play in anything like open space he's he's just a bulldozer with the ball mm-hmm. they gave him no space last year they might be able to give him a little space this year and and like i said you just know when you see it this team was a mess has been a mm-hmm. mess for 20 years Last year had no. Last year they were having press conferences ten games into the season when they had their poor front office executives out there like hostages, trying to explain why they were two and eight. This year they are playing with a purpose, and I will tell you this, Richard Jefferson.
1: Tell me, tell me this Zach.
0: I have said on this podcast the exact quote: "I will die on Julius Randall Hill." I will die alone if I have to die on Julius Randle Hill. And right now we are feasting the finest meats and cheeses, as Kenny Maine would say, the best champagne. We are feasting on Julius Randle Hill.
1: Look, I love a good charcuterie board. Uh, one, because I just like saying charcuterie. Um, but look, what you have to look at when you break down their stats, and I'm not you know, a stat guy, I like where the Knicks are. Because Thibodeau is, for t- for 20 years – Thibodeau has a reputation for for getting his players to play hard. So even if you don't have the necessary requirements, the shooting, you don't have the defenders, you don't have the scoring talent, you don't have the hype, he's going to make you play hard. That's one of his superpowers as a coach because he demands certain things. Not that other coaches don't, but he has a knack to get guys to do this, whether it's his exactness. But look at their stats. Can Julius Randle continue averaging 22 and 11 and 7? Yes, okay, and we will okay, not okay. tolerate anything less on Julius okay. Randle Hill. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Can Alec Burke continue to average 20? I believe RJ Barrett can continue to average 18. Um, like so when you look at these numbers, you're like, okay, is their play sustainable? Well, let's go one more layer. Are the numbers sustainable by the players that are giving that are are leading to a four and three record? And so, like, are we going to put it all on Julius Randle? As long as Julius Randle averages 22-11-7, the Knicks are going to have a chance. Well, damn right they are, right? But the question is, can Julius Randle average 22-11-7? That is something that even a Knick fan, as optimistic as Knick fans are, even though they like to, like, you know – when I, when I say they're optimistic in I was the beginning, say, I, I don't, optimistic, think, I don't yeah.
0: know any optimist. I don't think I know one optimistic Knicks fan.
1: They're, they're optimistic about their opportunities. They they understand realism. But if you ask any Nick fan, if you were to sit him down, it's like, dude, you guys are off to a good start. That's awesome. What makes you What makes you nervous? Well, shoot, I you know you know Toppins only played one game, and can we get 22, 11 and seven out of Julius Randle? Then he's an all star. The Julius Randle is an actual all-star. I know we're 7 games in, but at these numbers and he stays in the 7-8 spot or they stay in the middle of the pack, Julius Randle is an all-star. By stats and by record. So can he maintain that? And a lot of it is like, hey, can Steph Curry maintain that? Can LeBron James maintain the numbers that he's putting up? When your best player maintains high level numbers, you increase your chances for wins and you increase your chances for postseason play. So we're looking at the best player, Julius Randle, Alec Burke, RJ Barrett, can they maintain that?
0: Can I tell you what the Knicks fans should be nervous about? Please tell me. So the Knicks are 24th in offense, so their offense still stinks. They're ninth in defense, so they're winning mm-hmm. with defense. This is very tibsy. That's a tipsy yeah, thing.
1: Yeah, so yeah. Here,
0: here, here's what should make you nervous. Only four teams have allowed more threes as a percentage of shot attempts, and only one team has allowed more shots at the rim as a percentage of shot attempts. So the Knicks are allowing not great shots, not the shot you want. Uh, opponents are shooting 29.6% from three. That's the lowest mark in the league. They're only shooting fifty nine percent at the rim. That's the eighth lowest. Those are not sustainable numbers. The Knicks are not the ninth best defense in the NBA. And when that defense comes back to earth, now to their credit, they have some quality wins. I just rattled off. So they beat. They killed the Bucks at home. But, but, but some- now,
1: but, but, but real. I I don't mean to interrupt you interrupt. on your podcast. You're the guest on your podcast. Oh, on your podcast, but I think it's more realistic that Thibodeau and his reputation can hover them around a top 13 defense, around a top 10, around a top, you know, because if they can hover around 11, right, their offense is dog, but their defense is solid because he gets them playing hard. And look, you know this from covering the league for a year, playing defense is hard. Like playing defense is especially hard when that's how you're depending on winning games because your offense is, you know, on and off are a little up and down. So when you're just like, hey, every day we're gonna go out and just defend, if you don't have the Tony Allen's, the Rudy Gobert, if you don't have those monster defensive players that can like kind of take away 20% of what a team is doing, it becomes difficult. Um, but I, I would say that I'm more I'm more apt to believe that their defense will sustain than their offense starts to include. And look, last part of the last thing I'll say is that. They're still just learning Thibodeau's defense. They're still learning the principles. They're still learning what he expects from them. And, you know, the film sessions are coming. So I think that they have an arc to improve on defense, even though they might not have the necessary defensive talent to stay nine. Let's say they improve, but they drop to 12. That's great place for the Knicks. If they're the 12th class defensive team, then you you have a, a competing chance every night.
0: I like it. Look, if you give up a lot of threes, that's okay. We've seen over the last three or four years, the teams that have given up a lot of three-point attempts have had some of the best defenses in the league. But if you do that, you got to protect the basket. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. the Pelicans are doing. Like, shoot all the threes you want. Some nights we're going to get smoked. Some nights we're not, but you're not getting to the basket. You can't give up both for very long and survive mm-hmm. on defense. So the Knicks are going to have to fix one of those two things, or at least staunch, staunch, the bleeding. There's a good vocabulary word. Stanch yeah, the yeah, bleeding. Hey,
1: hey, how about this? I don't know what that word means. So I'm only continue. like
0: eighty percent of the eighty percent sure I, I actually said the correct word. It could be a just, I, it could I, be a blooper. Could be a low so look, post I, blooper.
1: I, I, look, I use context clues all the time to figure out what people are saying, and that one I had no idea what you meant. But look, the bottom line is. The Bulls
0: are three and four. Washington is two and five. Charlotte is two and five. Toronto is in. We're going to talk about them. Um, right now, the only team that I think you can count out of the play in tournament in the East is probably Detroit, although they're frisky every night, too. But they're one and six, and their offense is poo poo. A, a little better than poo poo, actually. Better than I expected it to be. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to hundred bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats Headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash giftfinder today. That's macy's.com slash giftfinder. Let's move on from the Knicks. Richard Jefferson, are you ready for round two of Do You Believe? I'm ready for round two. Do you believe that the Philadelphia 76ers at a league-best 6-1 and one with the number one defense in the league with a bullet are now officially in the inner circle of title contenders with the Lakers and whoever else you want to put in that inner circle?
1: No. And, and this is not to knock like Philadelphia 76ers are, are not fans, but it's like you have to... You have the talent. There's no question. They have the talent. You know whether they all blend together or not. That's one thing. But ultimately, you know, one the fact that they've won two away games is awesome. That's just such great news. Like they're winning road games, uh, even though there's no fans and all the other drama. But I think for the for the Seventy Sixers, they still have to prove to people. Like you and I sit here with you know you covering basketball, me covering basketball, me playing for however many years and watching it my entire life. And fans always want you to give this. Oh, my team is going to do this. Or that team says, look, the Philadelphia 76ers are one of those wait and see teams. Wait and see how this pans out. Yes, everyone's optimistic the first, you know, everyone's optimistic the first 10 games, especially when you get off to a hot start. Everyone's super optimistic on the honeymoon, right? But a lot, but 50% of marriages in a divorce. But everyone has a pretty good time on the honeymoon. Boy, and that's I think, a right, downer. That's a downer. Yeah, Whatever, I don't care. The 76ers are on their honeymoon phase right now, right? They came back. They're healthy. Um, they're playing well. They're playing inspired. Doc Rivers, obviously, you know, we know he can coach very similar to Thibodeau. But it's early. It's still early. So is this a? would you rather be here than to be the Toronto Raptors? Damn right you'd rather be. But I'm not sitting here saying that the 76ers are a title contender yet.
0: Here are their wins. Charlotte, Charlotte, Cleveland, Detroit, Orlando, Washington, Toronto.
1: So you're no welcome. I'm not,
0: I'm yeah, exactly. not convi- I'm I am not convi- I didn't
1: even I knew their record, but I also know them. I didn't know who their wins were, but I know the Philadelphia 76ers. So when you tell me those wins, it's in this league, you know this Zach you got to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and split with teams that that are on your level, right And that's such a key like they say like look, you know if you go 500 on the road, and you win, you know, you win 30 games, you win 30 games at home. So you go, you know, 30 and 10, you know, and the next thing you know, you're, you got a, a 50 win season. So you got to play well at home and you got to just go 500. You just got to go 500. And that's where they had their huge drop off the year before they couldn't win a road game. Right. And, you know, to win a championship, you got to win road games. So were they ever believable last year when they had that awful road stretch? No, they weren't believable, but is this a, a sign for hope? If you're a 76ers fan, are you happy with your start? Do your guys look locked in? Yeah, you should be stoked.
0: Yeah, their new starting five makes as much sense as people thought with the shooting around Simmons and Embiid. Uh, Tobias Harris, like, I, in my opinion, the Sixers are still one guy away. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. think, I think Danny Green and Seth Curry are like – okay starters i would prefer if one of them were a bench player really on a championship contender yeah. although seth seth curry has been 15 points a game 54 from three making plays off the dribble he looks incredible um their bench is like the ultimate feast or famine bench in the league i have no idea what shake milton is giving me every night although <laughs> he's averaging 12 a game matisse tyble might hit the side of the backboard might hit a three might not play tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey's got balls, man. I will give Tyrese Maxey that. that he just comes in and makes stuff happen. I, I like it. Mike Scott, Firkin Korkmaz, Dwight Howard. I don't know. I have no idea what these guys are giving me every night. To me, they still feel a guy away. That said, yeah. well, they are Tobi- a guy away. Well, Tobias Harris is off to a really nice start. Looks really comfortable just jacking catch and shoot threes right off the catch, which is what they need him to do. He's averaging 20 a game. Uh, and Embiid. Looks incredible. Embiid has come out of the gate as an—he's an MVP candidate right now. Um, They're plus 22 per 100 possessions with Embiid on the floor and minus 14 per 100 possessions with Embiid off the floor. Now, Harris's numbers are about the same because Doc has very interestingly—the Sixers had this like very rigid, staggering rotation under Brett Mm -hmm. Brown. Like, this guy comes out now. Simmons and Abid only play X amount of minutes together. Here's the pattern. It's on a big chart that has arrows and colors and whatever else is on it. Doc is <laughs> playing the main guys together more than Brett Brown did. And I kind of think that's interesting and, and 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 probably good. And Simmons, I feel like, is still Simmons. He's, there's not much has changed with him as an offensive player. The defense is super encouraging that they're this good on defense. Again, the schedule has been bad. But they still feel, to me one guy not necessarily like a star but like one guy one starter level guy away
1: yeah and and look that that was the thing you look at the success that they had with Jimmy Butler and I know he's been a year gone but when we say that they're one player away they had that player now look things happen whatever no big deal uh you got to kind of move on from that but they are they are one player away and players don't grow on trees. You you know, there's been a lot of chatter about, you know, trades and Daryl Morey and and James Harden. But look, I, I really like Ben Simmons. Like at the end of the day, if someone told you, you'd get a six, nine point guard that would average 13, nine and seven and be first team all defense, you would take it. They're like, well, we want him to be Magic Johnson. We want him to be LeBron James. We want him to shoot threes. It's like who gives a what you want, right? It's like, let's look at what you have right? Like, you know, you can't have, you know, this, this, you know, perfect, beautiful car in front of you and complain that it doesn't have a spoiler, doesn't have this. And you can say like, oh, well, how are we going to win a championship? It's like, well, you got Joel Embiid, you got an MVP candidate, you got Tobias Harris, who's one of the best second slash third guys in the league. Now, do they have some gaps? Yes. But ultimately, I think they have a very talented team. And for once, for once, I would like to see the 76ers overachieve. That's the key. Like the Toronto Raptors last year, they overachieved. Guys showed up. They did all the stuff that they were needed. They played with a chip on their shoulder. They overachieved. And even in the postseason, in the bubble, they overachieved. That's what you want to see. I think the Denver Nuggets kind of overachieved, right? They overachieved last year. And that's not a, that's not a – you want to overachieve. You want to overachieve in everything in life. And so uh, – I just want to see the 76ers overachieve one time with the talent that they have. Like take take Milwaukee to seven games in the conference finals and you're like, "Oh, okay, these guys can play." But when you just look at them and say, "Oh, they're they're 6 and 1 and their their record against these teams that they should be beating, right?" You're just like, "Okay, they're still a wait and see."
0: Well, you nailed one of the big issues here, which is and the schedule is going to get harder for them pretty soon.
1: Damn right but, it is.
0: but the longer they win, and the longer they stay at the top of the East, the harder that James Harden for Ben Simmons question gets for Philly's brain trust for their ownership. For unless, I mean, and I'm not even saying they're interested in it now. I'm just saying that's the trade that has sort of made the most theoretical sense all along for both teams. I think, but if Philly is 21 and three, or you know, 20 and six, or something really really good. I think the calculus has to change a little bit. I think you look at your team, you look at Simmons being seven years younger, all that, and just say, you know what? Something is happening here. Maybe we don't believe we're quite in the inner circle yet, but something interesting has happened here that that has to change our calculus at least 5% or 10%, even if we are in theory eager to make a deal for whatever reason.
1: Well, you know what's so crazy is that, man, like we've gotten, we've gotten, in basketball in the last like 10, 15 years, we've gotten either you're you're in the top four and you have a chance to win a championship or we need to trade everybody, right? Like that. that's just, a, I, I think it's part of the culture we live in. I think that's part of the society. And, and I'm not trying to get like philosophical here. I'm just saying, it's like, yo, this is a very good team. You have talented players. It's not just about shuffling puzzle pieces and chess pieces constantly until you figure out something. And it's like, all right, screw it. We're going back to the lottery. It's like, no, they have a team. You can build build with this group for the next five to six years. You can build with this. You're superstars. I wouldn't do anything drastic. I think getting off of Al Horford was huge, huge. right? Because they'll have cap space this year. Um, and I, I, I just think that that's such a good, good move. Daryl Morey came in, he brought in shooting, um, and he got got that like, freedom. So if you're talking about their one player away, doesn't even necessarily be a star. Well, they're going to have cap space. They're going to have cap space. They at won't. The end of the though, they won't. They won't Really? As,
0: lo- as long as Simmons and Bead and Harris are there, they have no real functional cap space. Those guys are like 100 million bucks all by themselves. Maybe You don't
1: th- You don't think that Daryl Morey is going to work one more move. You don't really believe that he's going to work more and more, more to get them cap space. I personally do.
0: Well, I Just think he'll work. Daryl Morey will work you know, lots of moves on the margins, but I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be capsules, could be trade, but um, I, 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 I'm I'm excited about how this team has started, but I'm, I'm a little, I just, I'm like you. I just need to, before I put them in the inner circle, I need to see a little more. That's okay. But that, but everything, all the early signs are great.
1: Well, and the last thing I'll say is that, look, at the beginning of the season, we talk about projections. Everyone's like who I have, who I like, who I like, who had off seasons, who had good drafts. And then we get into the first twenty games really we sit back and watch i think everybody fans analysts get back first 25 games sit back and watch okay some guys have injuries so there's some covid there's some travel there's some new rotations there's no training camp there's no preseason right so there's like all of this stuff going on so for us to overreact to Toronto's 1 and 5 to overreact to to um to the Phoenix Suns being 5 and 2 it's like yo Let's all just take a moment and then at 20 games, let's start really breaking down what teams need, what's the issues, what they what they need to fix or what they're doing well. Speaking of the
0: Toronto Raptors,
1: uh,
0: a dispiriting loss to the Celtics last night who were missing Marcus Smart and some other rotation players. Richard Jefferson, do you believe that the one in five Toronto Raptors on a streak of 50 win seasons within a hair of making the conference finals last season, despite really not good play from Pascal Siakam in the bubble. Do you believe that Toronto Tampa Bay Raptors are in serious trouble and at risk of missing the playoffs?
1: No, not no. I I think they are one of those teams. I think, I think they're, they're going to be closer to what we saw from the Portland trailblazers, right? A little bit of a hangover. They're far better than what they're playing last year. Um, I, I think the Toronto Raptors can find – because you know why? Like their leader, Kyle Lowry, is a, he is a gritty guy. Like he's not going to quit. He's not one of those guys that 20 games into the season is just like ho-hum, like okay. Now understand, they had one of the longest winning streaks last year. So we talked about overachieving, right? That's what the Toronto Raptors really did last year as they overachieved. But I, I still think that – when you break down the way they play and who they have been playing with they need a they need a jolt of en- energy right we looked at Pascal Siakam every single year got better right almost uh, like again if it was up to me i think he had a a really really good chance to be most improved player two times in a row now i know yeah. Brandon Ingram got that but like Pascal Siakam went especially because you lose Kawhi they ask you to go from being uh, uh, most improved, then you turn into an all-star and you have one of the best records in the league. You made a serious jump there. And, you know, and so, you know, was his jump as great as Brandon Ingram's? Uh, I think it was greater because he went from having to be the second, third guy to almost being the primary scorer and their team had just as good of a record, if not better, I believe in the year before. So like that is a serious jump, but he just hasn't maintained that same level. Yeah,
0: I mean, look, the Raptors are 1-5. They're 28th in offense and 13th in defense. So obviously the offense thing jumps out. And if I read you their shooting percentages, you will start laughing (laughs) halfway through. They are 24th on threes, 28th on mid-range shots, 24th on shots at the basket. So they're basically shooting horrible from everywhere. And that will obviously change. Norman Powell's shooting in the 30s on twos. Pascal's a mess. They're getting absolutely zero from Aaron Baines. And I remember... When Ibaka and Gasol walked, I had an Eastern Conference executive talk to me on the phone and say, "Why is everyone freaking out so much about the Raptors losing two old old big men, two what? old two old centers?"
1: That's,
0: yeah, and, and I said, "Well, with all due respect, I mean, there were two of their top seven players, and Ibaka, I think." Ibaka really grew up as a player in Toronto. He was he was an athlete in Oklahoma City who could shoot some mid-range jumpers. In Toronto, he became more of a basketball player who felt the game, who could make reads on the fly. You could give him the ball at the foul line with everyone cutting around him in a playoff atmosphere, in a Game 7 atmosphere, and he would make the right play. And Mark is Mark. Mark was making the right plays out of the womb. The guy just knows how to play. And, you know, Baines is coming off a lot of health issues We don't really know if his three-point shooting was really 3 of 15 so far. Frankly, Chris Boucher has outplayed Baines badly for the season. But he's so skinny, there are just matchups where it's not going to work for him. And so I I did. I told this guy, look, I understand what you're saying. Like, Anunobi's going to get better. Van Vliet is still only 26. He should get better. Lowry is Lowry. Like, their top four guys are really good. I do think they're going to take a hit a significant one, losing those two guys. So far, that has been the case. I didn't think it would be this bad. And my other concern about them was they have their five starters plus Norm Powell off the bench. And I guess now you can add Boucher as as, the, as a pretty reliable backup center. Who is, who's the rotation beyond that? Who's the wing rotation beyond that?
1: There well, well is, there, is, but there is none, right? And, and, and look, you know that they have some of the best development in the league. Right. So again, even Boucher, I saw him play a couple of years for the last couple of years, little spot minutes last year. You know, some opportunities was a great G League player, just like Pascal, just like Van Vliet. Right. So there's guys that have come up through the ranks, but it's just when not enough is coming in and too much is going out. Right. You lose Marcus Gasol, you lose, you know, Serge Ibaka and you add Aaron Baines and you add. um you add, add that's just not enough because you got to understand there's a swagger that comes with veteran leadership, there's an intelligence, there like there, there's just a little tweak. And even if you look at like look, the clippers, they lose Montrez Harrell, right? So they lose him, but they add, they add surge. And you could see like that fits, right? They fit, like he he adds something to him. Um, you know, and actually a different component. Cause he's more, you he can shoot more outside. Probably he looks great. He looks great so yeah. far. They look, look, look great, great with him. That. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, that's a big piece. You look at, he is a championship player. You look at what he's done with the Clippers and then you kind of look at what they're lacking in offense, like a stretch four that can defend fours, he can defend fives, he can, you know. And then Marcus All, even though he's slow and move, yes, is he? Are these the same guys that can carry your team? No, but they are huge pieces that are missing, and that's why LeBron James and Marcus All per one hundred whatever possessions have the best whatever efficiency, you know, that you guys yeah, like it, to uh, say. Hey, right? hey, it, hey, hey, hey! 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 I'm just joking, but I'm just saying. You look at like Marcus Saul's impact with the Lakers. Him and LeBron James have some of the best efficiency over like a hundred possession. You look at how well Serge Ibaka fits perfectly with with the Los Angeles Clippers, and have really added a lot, a, a different component to them. And then you look at the Toronto Raptors are one and six. Come on, people! Basketball is is, is sometimes it's called the eye test right Let, let's let's be really honest you just lost two guys that are key components to the two top teams in the western conference and you're surprised that your team's off to a slow start
0: well they will get they'll they'll right the ship to some degree just because shots are you're gonna just, go down you're just
1: saying that because you live in toronto
0: i don't live at that's my second that's my second nba home and i can't okay, go there now they, they don't they don't want us there they don't want to yeah. they don't they've closed the border to us justifiably so There's a lot. There's a lot of Stanley Johnson going on right now, which makes me very, very uneasy about the Raptors. Hey,
1: hey, watch out with my wildcat brother! Right, watch out with my wildcat boy.
0: I like that you stay loyal. It's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many years out of college you just. It's still an Arizona guy's an Arizona guy for you.
1: Hundred percent. You know what it is. The older guys always looked out for me. Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott. These guys always looked out for me. One time, Steve Kerr. I was leading the league in turnovers, and Steve Kerr. Uh, I threw the ball out of bounds somewhere and he was like, well, yeah, look, I don't blame him. If I had those teammates, I'd probably throw the ball out of bounds too. And I was like, look, Steve, you got my back. So now that I'm in the booth, I make sure to look out for any Arizona guy and then slander anyone that went to Duke.
0: Did you, well, that we can all get behind. Uh, okay. Did you ever, in your playing career, did you ever throw the ball to the referee by accident? Did you ever mistake the referee for one of your teammates? That's one of my favorite NBA occurrences when the uh, when a player passes to the referee.
1: Look, never say never. I, I don't want to get on here and say that I didn't do it. I don't recall a moment, but you play enough games, they all start to blend together. I know I've had one absurd travel before where, like, I took two dribbles twice in front of the Indiana bench, I picked it up. They were kind of wrestling me, hassling me, and then I just decided to dribble it again, and I got an hand one. Right, their bench goes nuts, and the referee's like, "Richard, did you travel?" And I was like, "Yeah, I traveled really f-ing bad." So it's like you just don't you you don't know. Have I? I would not put my I would not put myself past it.
0: Was it LeBron or Russ or both that just had a brain fart? When bringing the ball up the court and just started walking with the ball for like four steps. Remember that? It was either LeBron or Russell. or it might have been both of them. They just like someone inbounded the ball to them and they just started walking. And yeah. Eventually the ref was like, dude, that's a travel. You can't do that. It's a turnover.
1: I don't know what we've seen guys like taking the ball out of bounds, guys walking with stuff. But like that stuff's been going on. I remember seeing a highlight of Jason Kidd doing that at Cal. Right. Like they're just like it's look. it's part of the fun. Like sometimes everybody has brain farts. The difference is, is that like, you know, athletes have to do it in front of millions of people and the Internet. So it's just never forgotten forever. Uh, and now you have a collection of them. But, yeah, guys are always going to whether it's trying to get away with something or just, you know, brains, you know, having a glitch.
0: Uh, I had Toronto as the solid number six in the East. I had them a tier in my tiers column. I had them a separate tier below Boston, Philly, Miami, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Maybe I'm forgetting someone. I don't think so. Um, some of the Raptors fans went crazy at me. Maybe I was optimistic. I don't know. I still think they're going to write the ship a little bit. But I, I mean, the great unknown for them, and I talked about this last week, is it's got to be taking some sort of mental toll on them to have gone to the bubble for quite a long time and now be the only team that's playing in this, in, in this sort of second home away from their families. In some cases are trying to organize what to do with their kids. So I take them out of school. Like that's just, it just has to be weird. And it would not surprise me if there was some mental burnout there, but they will, they will get it together, but they don't look.
1: Well, well, let let me say this. Is it? So look, let's be really honest, Zach. Like let let's, let's add a human component. Do you think that anytime soon they're gonna be playing in Toronto? Uh no. I, I, it doesn't seem likely to No, it's like come on, Zach. Come on, Zach. We see the numbers, we see this stuff, we see the protocols, and respectfully, like this is not this is not like we're not turning this into a COVID. The chances of them going to play in Toronto, pull your kids out. You want to know something else, Zach? You're playing in Florida. That means if you make Florida your primary residence, like you're saving hundreds of thousands of dollars when you're talking about millions right? And for some guys, you know, guys like uh, Kyle Lowry, who's already up there in the 20s and 20 pluses of, uh, of millions of dollars, you're talking about saving millions of dollars. So it's like from a financial standpoint, it's a win, right? Like, look, this is what we sign up for. Guys have been traded, guys have been this, like, is, is it easy to uproot and do all this other stuff? No, it's not. But we sign up for it. And when you step between those four lines, nothing else should matter. So, um, For them, I would just make Tampa your home. That's your home. This is what it is, and and if you can get over that, which they should be able to, they have a solid team. And I think that we know that Nick Nurse and the way they play, and, and I love Kyle Lowry as a leader, they're not going to quit. But we talked about overachieving. Sometimes you can overachieve and then come back down to earth. Now, is this their back down to earth? No, they're better than this. But I think they're back down to earth is where you have them probably like as a six or seven seed.
0: Yeah, I think they'll, they'll right the ship a little bit. And obviously no one is running away from those kind of seeds uh, with those kind of seeds yet. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package let's go West. You mentioned the Lakers
1: mm-hmm.
0: watching the Lakers is, is I had them in a tier of their own. I had them as undisputed favorites. I love their offseason. They just look like they're kind of in cruise control already. Just, just scratching the surface of what they can do. Not a lot of urgency, still five and two with the number two offense and, uh, and number four defense, I think, or something like that. Um, yeah. Um, just, just cruising. So, uh The Clippers are also five and two, and Phoenix is five and two. Then you have Denver and Portland who are scuffling uh Dallas is off to a strange start uh, three and four, I believe after beating Houston last yeah. night. Warriors have righted the ship at four and three. utah's right there at four and two. So what I will ask you is this do you do you believe let let 's actually start simple. Do you believe that the Suns are this good? 5 and 2, number 12 in offense, number 3 in defense. Yes. Um, do you and, and believe One answer. Yes. Yes. That's
1: it. Period. Yes. And it's one reason and you know it. Go ahead and say it. Chris Paul. One reason. That's it. That is one reason. Is Chris Paul, he's 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 headed towards another All-Star game on another team as a as a bona fide leader. Now, I you know, I know his nickname is Point God and look uh, with all due respect to the point guards that came before him and even the point guards that he started his, his career playing against like the Steve Nash's and the Jason kids and, and those guys, would I call him the point God? No, but of this generation of this group of the last like 15 years, he is the best point guard that this league has, has seen over this generation. So from that standpoint, yes, he shows up with a loaded team, adding Jay Crowder, um, Adding Jay Crowder, you know, DeAndre Ayton is a player. Uh, You know, Booker now has somebody now he's like he has a floor general like Booker, which I didn't really know until I really started watching him play like he's a very good assist man. He's not just a scorer. The man can get other people involved. Six six assists a game was a ton for a guy that's known for just a, a predominant score. But that might not be where he's best utilized. Right. So you take the ball out of his hands. Chris Paul is directing traffic. He's got a big he's got a like a monster shooter. He's teaching them the game he's doing. He's making coaching so much easy on Monty. He already knew Monty from his time in OKC, or uh, New Orleans, excuse me. And so it's like when I really look at this team, it's one reason. Right. It's one person and it's Chris Paul and he's a monster and they are going to finish in the top five.
0: Chris Paul. People make fun of the never-been-to-the-finals, only once in the conference finals, got hurt for Houston. Chris Paul has made – I mean, all you got to go back and watch the film. The guy has made a ton of clutch playoff shots. Yeah. Ask the Memphis Grizzlies about facing Chris Paul in the playoffs and if it's a good time. Chris yeah. Paul is a flat-out winner. If you want to win a lot of games in the NBA – Get Chris Paul on your team if you want to have a crunch time. If you want to win crunch time games at a level that the statistics say is not sustainable, guess what? It's sustainable if Chris Paul is on your team. You will be and, the and best late game team in the in the league.
1: And look, Chris Paul, like again, just from things that I've heard from different people around our industry, like he would have been the guy that if I was the Knicks, I would have gone after. I would have gone after. And let me just say it from this way, because if you pair him now, I don't know if the Knicks had the assets in it, but you look at what the Phoenix Suns did. They're like, we have a young star, we have a young stud and we need just some guidance because we've been in such disarray for a long time. Like, you know, uh, Devin Booker never really had that stability, never had that vet next to him, never had that. So you give Chris Paul, who's an all-star on the verge of being another all-star doing all the things that Chris Paul always does, and look at where the Phoenix Suns are. Now I look at, okay, what if we had Chris Paul with, you know, with a RJ Baird? What if we had Chris Paul with some? Now I'm not saying like this is what the Knicks would have done, but it's like when you look at we are a team that's looking to make a jump, he would have been, especially because you knew that he's under contract and you knew that like this what he does, he would have been number one on my tried to go get list if I was the Knicks.
0: See, I wanted the Knicks to go all in for Van Vliet for most of the same reasons because, look, Alfred Payton's off to a really good start. He's made six threes already this year. He made 14 all of last season. So maybe Alfred Payton will give them a season of competent. Just let me say it. Just let me say the sentence. Maybe he'll give them a season of competent point guard play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not disputing that, but I'm just saying like, even to say like Van Fleet and I, I love him. I love his story. I love how hard he worked. I love him as a winner, but there's a difference between that winner, that system, system predicated where he's been in the same system, whether it was G league NBA, like he gets it, he is a winner. And then a guy like Chris Paul, that is the force he is. He's kind of like LeBron. Like when you put him there, like he, like all of a sudden there is this vacuum that just, that just like, Sits around him and creates everything. And there's probably only about four guys in the league that are like that. It's probably LeBron, it's probably James Harden, where it's like, oh no, once he's on the floor, everything revolves around him, right? And it's like scoring, distribution, you know, defense, communication, play calls. Like there's only three or four guys like that. And Chris Paul is still doing it at the highest of levels. And like, shout out to him shout out b- to him
0: I believe in the Suns so before the season I had the Suns 7th in the West with an upside to get higher but I just they were my wait and see team like I really like their roster but I've seen Utah I've seen Dallas I've seen Portland like I've seen those teams I can't put you in the in that tier yet they're they're going to be better than at least one of those teams the Suns are the Suns are good the Suns I think are going to finish above the play in tournament if I had to guess now in the top oh, 6 oh yeah yeah, and I agree. Their defense is rock solid. I think I think it's pretty real. They're a classic Chris Paul team because they yeah. take a lot of mid-range jumpers and they and they make you take a lot of mid-range jumpers. They take away your threes and 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 but they take a lot of the same shots on offense. It's a classic Chris Paul thing. It and I don't even think they've hit their stride yet. Their starters are minus fifteen for the season. They're minus nine with Booker and Paul on the floor together. They haven't quite those guys, you can see them. Figuring out, how do we make this that something that's not your turn, my turn? They're killing it. You want to hear an incredible stat? Yeah. 93 minutes with Booker on the floor and Paul on the bench. 93 minutes. They're plus 58. Booker Wait, plus who? bench is killing, killing.
1: Wait, when Booker's on the bench and Chris Paul is in the game, they're reverse, plus 93? Reverse. Reverse. Booker, Booker, Booker on the
0: floor, Paul on the bench.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I like I don't I don't that is my point is that my point is they're
0: not hitting their stride yet. My point is their best no. lineups haven't hit their stride yet. And Ayton, you can see Ayton, he's oh. only averaging 13 a game. He's trying I to find that. his place too.
1: I hate I hate what they've done with Deandre Ayton and I don't know if it's him or it's but watch the game. When you watch the Phoenix Suns, count how many post-ups. Now I'm not trying to turn this guy into Shaq. I'm not I thought he was like similar to David Robinson when you look at his physique, his build, like his skill level. I really thought cuz he's not he's not like Wiseman. Like Wiseman's a skilled guy at that size. He's more of a back to the basket, but I swear to you like he shoots more jumpers than he does right-hand hook shots. And I think that that is a disservice. I can I it, it drives me nuts and, and I'm not going to get into the problem is
0: it. when they post him up he shoots jumpers. When they post him what, up, but, he likes to turn and fade. He 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 gets to the line at the rate of, like, a, of Duncan Robinson. I mean, that's but, an exaggeration, agree, but he's, agree, he never agree, gets to the line.
1: Agreed, Zach, but this is a thing that is taught. These are things that he is 20 years old. He is 21 years old. He's going to be playing for 13 years. You have to build a foundation of these things, right? Like, yes – He is always been the biggest, strongest, most dominant. And now he gets into really, really grown physical. And if that's not naturally in your nature, it's like, for instance, let me give you an example. Dirk Nowitzki, when Avery Johnson showed up to San Antonio or showed up to, to Dallas, he tried to turn Dirk Nowitzki into Tim Duncan. It's like, we're getting your big ass in the post. You're posting up. You're posting up. That's not dirt. That's not his body type, that's not his, but what did he do? He learned that little jab and then that famous now, that famous little one-legged fadeaway that he did. If it wasn't for Avery Johnson just punching him and getting him into the post, pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to be like, you're going to do that, he wouldn't have developed that 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 redefining position play. Now Kevin Durant does it. Now so many guys know that once if I get it and I do that little one leg fadeaway like Dirk, no one can do it. But without the, the the pushing him to that point, right? Like Avery Johnson did, now ultimately they didn't win a championship but they had some crazy good teams there in Dallas before ultimately you know Rick Carlisle came in and won a championship. But that's what I'm saying with Aiden. Like, no, I don't care. You're going to get into the ball. I don't care if you're going to shoot five hook shots. I need you to develop a hook shot. And then with that comes confidence. Like, last thing, I never shot threes my first two or three years in the league. Never shot threes. Worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. it. Never shot threes. I I shot more threes my first year than I did my second year, because I was like, screw it. I'm just going to drive, right? Just put my head down. My third year, Larry Drew was working with me. He's like, Richard. You're working on this every single day, but you're not shooting in the game. How about this? One a game. Every day you make one a game, or you shoot one a game, no matter what. And if you make it, shoot another one. If you miss it, fine. But at least we've started this progression of one a game. And all of a sudden, I was like, all right, fine. I'll shoot one a game. So I shoot one. All of a sudden, I'm starting to make them because guys aren't guarding me. Guys are like five feet off of me. They're not guarding me. But I was like, all right. He said, Richard, you don't have to. You don't have to rush. They're not running you off the line. So I shoot. So I shoot 35% that year and my point my my point per game average, because then once you make a couple, now guys have to get a little bit closer and the floor opens up and the floor gets wider. But without Larry Drew pumping me saying like, Richard, you're putting in the work. you got to shoot one a game. you got to shoot one a game. And if you make it, then shoot another one. And I bought into that. And that's how I started to develop my three-point shot. So it's the same thing with Aiden. You gotta hey, you gotta shoot two hook shots. One hook shot a game. I don't wanna see this fade away. This is that dedicated for you to shoot a hook shot. We're gonna throw it into you, and this is when you go to work. And force it onto them till it becomes second nature.
0: I have three responses. Can I tell go you ahead. my three responses? Well, I'm, done. I'm done.
1: That was my rant. Number one. It was kind of it's kind of adorable. Richard
0: Jefferson as a young Ben Simmons. You sounded like you were talking about Ben Simmons. Just just go shoot look one at the three. Dan, Dan. Just shoot Dan, one three. At,
1: Dan, Dan, pull up my three-point numbers, my first three years. It's hilarious.
0: We're not gonna pull up the stats. I'm just saying it sounds like you could have substituted Brett Brown for Larry Drew and Ben Simmons <laughs> for Richard Jefferson. It sounded like today. Number two, you mentioned Dirk, one of the coolest moments in the NBA of the last 20 years, one of those coolest little moments that I just loved. It gives me goosebumps now. When Dirk would get a switch and post up at the nail, right, just right at the nail, right, that Dirk spot, right at the nail, catch the ball, catch the ball, he would look at the opposite shot clock because he'd be facing the opposite shot clock, and you could see him look and be like, okay, how much time do I have what move can I do in this amount of time? And just that little peek at the opposite shot clock, like he didn't turn around to look at the shot clock that was right behind him. He yeah. knew that one. I love, I just, for some reason, I love that little, that little quirk of it, Dirk's that,
1: game. That was a lonely place to be because, and why they started putting Dirk there, right, is because it became so much harder to double him from there. Like that, but again, this is, it goes back to the same, like when you look at the evolution of players, like a lot of times plays and moves are because of situations from years prior. So Dirk learns that little jab thing, but they were doubling Dirk. And Dirk's not a great passer, good passer, for especially for his size and position, but not like this pick-you-apart, drop-dimes big man, right? And so they started moving him to the elbow. Now he has left, he has right, he can see double teams from anywhere, and it's a lot easier to pick him off. And the help, you can only come from certain places when you're that big and whatever. So he was just really the island for him was the free throw line, not the elbow. Just because of his skill set. So, but again, the post up game, Dirk is a three point shooter, one of the greatest three point shooters we've ever seen. And he is known for the, he invented a post move. And one of his most dangerous areas when he's talking about ISOs is the free throw line post up. But that was pushed on him. That's not who he was. And that's why when we talk about Aiton only does this, it's like, so what are we just going to say that like that's who he is and that's what he's going to be? No, No. we need to spend three to five years pushing this on him to the point where he learns that. I firmly believe that the Phoenix Suns will not take the jump that they need until they turn him into an all-star caliber player.
0: Well, everything you just said – is why I'm actually optimistic about the Suns, because I feel like they're five and two, despite very clearly just in, they're in stage one of figuring out how to play on yeah. offense. And part of that is figuring out how to involve Ayton. Now, to your point, one of the reasons why Aiton is such an interesting player is he can do a little bit of everything. He can mm-hmm. rim run for dunks. He can post up, although his post-ups haven't been efficient. He has the skill set to do it. He's going to be able to shoot threes. He can already shoot long twos. And... I'm just very interested in sort of which of those skills the Suns sort of choose or he chooses to lean hard into, or is he just going to get better at all of them so he can do a little bit of everything? But Aiton averaging 13 points a game and clearly struggling, not struggling, but not quite having the same place in this offense, he's going to find his place in this offense. Booker and Paul are going to develop a rhythm together. All of, the, all of what you're saying is why I think it's super encouraging that the Suns are 5 and 2 and their offense yeah. is just kind of average. Last question for Richard Jefferson. Do you believe that anyone in the West can challenge the Lakers and if so
1: who is it? Ah, uh, I do. You know, I like and one thing that whenever we start having these conversations, I always preface things with health, right? Is like as long as a team is healthy, I believe that they can press now, like when we start looking at, okay, the Denver Nuggets are off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, the Clippers are doing what the Clippers do. They they have they have talent. They're good. I think the only teams, like I don't like the way the Denver Nuggets are, are playing right now. I think losing um, Jeremy Grant was was a, a kind of big. Now I like Jamichael Green, uh, but you know they need Michael Porter Jr. to step up. I think they're having a little bit of issue, not issues, but just trying to figure out is it Will Barton, is it Michael Porter Jr. Like, how are we going to go? And also we're,
0: tw- and also we're 29th in defense, so we can't stop yeah. anybody yet.
1: No, yeah, we can't stop anybody now, you know, and again, you know, I, Jeremy Grant and, and Paul Millsap, who's a very good defender, he's a year older, you know, so I look at the Denver Nuggets and it's just like, you know, look, bowl, bowl. I don't know, you know, bull, bowl, bowl, if how much his basketball IQ is, I know that they have some issues there with, are they playing them? How do you play them? They're trying to figure that out. But when you look at the rest of these teams, Dallas, without without uh, Porzingis, not going to get it done. The Portland Trail Blazers. 28th, uh, in, defense. Yeah, 28th no, in defense. Portland's 28th yeah, in defense. I'm not really buying with them. The Golden State Warriors, like, hey, look, I love Steph's 60 ball. That is true. He is awesome. But if he scores 45, they probably lose that game. Right. and So, so let, let's keep that in perspective. Then you go up the Utah Jazz. Good, solid. Don't think that that's going to be a team that can do. And then right, you so let, me, let, me st-
0: let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Utah's four and two. Rock mm-hmm. solid. Rock solid. Eight man rotation is just nails. Not one bad player in that rotation. Everyone's good. Good defen- defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell seems to have kicked maybe early season slump. I hated his shot selection for the first five or six games. What he is Utah for
1: fifty every night? What is Utah missing for you? Oh, I think I think if you look at every team in this league, the one thing they're missing is you know one more primary perimeter scorer. Right now, I love it. Like, look, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson. You know, you look at you look at some of the players, but then after that, it just it starts to slide down, like you said. They got their they got they got their eight, right? They got their eight, but it's just like if they had if that if that five six seven eight if they had one more tier of a player. But I just don't look at this team with Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Clarkson, Rudy Gobert, Bogdanov. because even if you just go matchup for matchup, they're going to get obliterated by the Lakers. Like, look, Rudy Gobert is great until he goes against Anthony Davis, right? And I'm not saying that that wouldn't be a monster matchup. It would be. But like ultimately, like even if they just even if they just like evened each other out, which none of us believe that would happen, just believe like, hey, they cancel each other out. You're now looking at Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to pair up against LeBron James. We're not even talking about Montrez Harold. We're not even talking about Kyle Kuzma. We're not even talking about, you know, uh, Schroeder. So it's like you're looking at like the Laker roster, just even if you take the top two players off of, of the Lakers or cancel them out with a Rudy Gobert or something. They're just not on that tier. Now, is this a team that can make the conference finals? Yes, right? But if everybody's healthy, it's the Lakers, the Clippers, I would say the Jazz, and the Suns right now with Portland needing to figure things out uh, and Denver needing to figure things out. So don't jump on me and say, how can you have these teams? I'm saying right now, currently, there are teams that need things figured out and there's teams that are playing well.
0: Denver is the weird one to me. I I was super high on Denver coming into the season. I had them in the same tier, a a tier above Utah, Portland, et cetera. Their defense has been awful. Um, I do wonder if there's a little bit of a conference finals bubble hangover for them. Gary Harris, boy, oh boy. Three of 24 on threes. If it just isn't happening... With him, this is three years in a row now. It's early, but this would be three years in a row of just what what happened. I I still think it, their offense has been as advertised. They they are not guardable on offense. You just have to mm. beat them by outscoring them. I I just don't think Jeremy Grant was this valuable to their team. And I, okay, and, go ahead. No, I just feel like once they get now Porter's out because of the COVID protocols, I and and Jermichael Green just came back, so they're sort of haven't had the full rotation together. I I don't I I, I do think they can be, the 15th defense in the nba or something like that and if they're that then they're a problem they shouldn't be this bad they're actually not allowing as nearly as many threes as they used to they're they're not teams aren't getting to the rim at all when they get there they're shooting like a thousand percent which is a little bit of a problem i just don't think they're this bad defensively i don't think jeremy grant meant this much to them but it wasn't just
1: that they also they also um are, are are missing Plumley. Now these guys aren't like well, Plumley played 8 minutes a game in the playoffs. No, Plumley was no, 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 but I'm talking about over the course of the regular season, over the course of the regular season having that second body that you know because what they did is they did it almost I don't want to say by committee, but it was like they were they were like 8-9 deep of like solid guys that knew how to play. Right. So it's like you have you have, you know, Plumley and like, you know, he's not Jokic, but like he knows how to do a dribble handoff. He's a pretty good passer for that position, like just little bitty things. You talked about Marc Gasol and, and Serge Ibaka kind of taking those guys off the Toronto Raptors and you seeing a drop where like you take that energy of Jeremy Grant, you take a guy like Plumley off and then you have a couple of guys that aren't shooting the ball well. Right. And you can see it because look, when you look at Gary Harris, yes, is it time? But I look at a guy like Michael Porter Jr., he's trying to become an all star. He does not care about who's around him. He doesn't care about who's the star and stud. Like, in a respectful way, Michael Porter Jr. is focused on how he can become the best version of himself, not how he can fit in with this team perfectly. Right. And so now you got Jamal Murray who wants to be an all star. Like, you saw his first two, three games of the season. It was like the dude wasn't even awake. He wasn't even awake. And so you're like, okay, so then Jokic, I think Jokic is doing what he normally does. Paul Millsap, loving the death, but he's a year older. Uh, Monte Morris, who's a big guy for him. He's not this great defensive guy, but he's extremely efficient, doesn't turn the ball over. So it's like you kind of look at their roster and where can they get more? You need Gary Harris to show up. I, I, Gary Harris is my guy. He needs to shoot the ball better or be a high-level defender. You can have it being off shooting, you know, Tony Allen played in the league for 13 years and he was never a shooter, but he locked people down. If your shot isn't falling, you got to do something else to keep you on the court. And right now there's probably about four or five players that were like, if we need to turn this around, what can I do? All right, I need to lock in on defense. And right now, whether it's Will Barton, Gary Harris Jr., Will Porter Jr., you look at this. They need to be a team defensive team. They need to be a better defensive team because individually, Jamal Murray's okay. Nikola Jokic, not so much. Michael Porter Jr., still young. Paul Millsap's a little bit older. Monte Moore is probably lax inside. Jamichael Green has the ability. Will Barton is more of a scorer. Gary Harris has the ability, but he's just been struggling. And then after that, you get to your bench. So show me the individual defenders there, and then we can express the team, right? Like, that's where it starts.
0: Michael Porter Jr. still young was a very polite way of saying Michael Porter Jr has been flammable uh on defense it was very polite <laughs> RJ yeah, um, but
1: I, don't, I don't I don't knock kids like that man I get tired of people making it seem like you're uh, a top pick if you're a top pick, it's like, yo, understand, I was a 13th pick, but I came in at 21. So on my third year in the league, I was 24. These guys are in their third year in the league, and they're 21. Their bodies aren't even finishing and developed, and we're supposed to expect them to go and be this. And they're like, well, Luca did this. or "That." Yes, everyone develops at a different point in time in their career. I graduated high school at 17 years old, but I was playing against guys that were about to turn 19 a few months after they graduated. So my body was... 10 12 pounds less than a lot of these guys that were physically developed it takes people time but unfortunately when you sign a rookie contract now because everyone's 18 and 19 you have to divide you have to de- figure out if you're gonna dedicate 150 million to them at 21 where before you were coming in at 21 and then you had to de- figure out if you were going to dedicate that type of money to them at 24 and they were more likely to be who they were, body type physicality mentally at 24 than they were at 21 so I give guys like Michael Porter Jr. a pass, the dude's played 60 games in the last four years
0: Amen the NBA is really hard especially <laughs> for young guys um, it's, it inter- it's interesting it's uh, interesting you seem to still have faith in the Clippers. I yeah, that the Clippers yeah. have looked the Clippers have looked great, minus the one shellacking when Kawhi didn't play, and the Paul George Vengeance Tour is underway now. You can't have a Vengeance Tour in the first ten games of the season. No, the, vengeance, the, the Vengeance Tour has to take place in the unless playoffs. You're
1: Steph Curry. unless you're Steph Curry, right, Steph that's Curry true. can have a Vengeance tour. He can have a Vengeance Tour because he's proven it in the playoffs consistently. But people. If we're going to really break down Paul George, what did Paul George get drafted? I want to say in the teams, right? I remember I believe, him coming I
0: believe 10. In
1: 10. Part of the reason why he dropped as a six foot eight swing do it all player, part of the reason why he dropped a little bit lower and wasn't a higher pick is people thought that he would kind of go in and out at Fresno State, right? Was it Fresno State? Was he yep. Fresno State? Yep. So people thought that he would kind of go in and out and show up. Right? Show up sometimes, not a little inconsistent. That's why he he wasn't a top five pick. He wasn't like this dog. Then you get him into Indiana. He's got a loaded team around him, loaded, right? Going toe to toe with Braun and those guys at a very early young age, right? Very, very early young age. Just going toe to toe, has all the skills. So, yes, he has the injury that sets him back. But now we start to look, and when you really look at his career, right? You start to see that there are these gaps where he's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. He's had these injuries. So, if you look at his draft and when they talked about, oh, he's a bit inconsistent, but then he had this early success, but then he had these injuries, and now he's a little bit up and down and inconsistent. So, you always got to look, you know, you got to kind of look at an aerial view of Paul George and say that, like, yes, Paul George, you've done everything that we will ever need to see from you in a regular season. We just need you to be dominant in the postseason. So for Paul Paul George, everything leading up to the postseason is a dress rehearsal. We need you to play great 83 and beyond. That's the only thing that can change. Like for Steph Curry, people want to see if he can carry a team. But ultimately, the only thing that's missing from Steph Curry's resume is a finals MVP. So to say that, like, well, for, for Steph to do it, I need to see him win a finals MVP. You're like, well, he's got to get to the finals and then play well over a four to seven game stretch. That's all we need to see for Steph Curry to be on Mount Rushmore. For Paul George, it's game 82, right? Or game 83, excuse me. I will say they look really good. Uh, and
0: Batum has been – I didn't think they would get much out of Batum because he looked about done with Charlotte.
1: What? He, we disagree on that. I texted a certain somebody and said, when does when does uh, Batoon land in L.A.? I didn't know he was going to the Clippers.
0: Uh, well, he, he, he has perked up. He's making shots. He's playing hard on defense. They haven't had Marcus Morris yet. And when they get him back, um, they can play a little bigger like they're playing Jackson, Williams and Kennard together off the bench. That makes me a little nervous for, for their defense. But that lineup has actually been good. They look good, you know. Kawhi hasn't even shot it particularly well, but but they look good. I will say though, RJ,
1: they were up thirty-one the other night against Phoenix. Oh, yes, I watched that game. I watched that game, and it came back. I think it was twenty. It was it twenty-seven or thirty-one?
0: And, and even I think it was thirty-one. And even in my in my soul, even in my soul, I started getting you started old, getting nervous. Started getting nervous. <laughs> saying, here we,
1: here we go again. Oh my God! If would, what if they blow if they this lead? It's going to be a big story. And, oh, huge. So I'm watching the game and I'm just like, wait a second. I saw it at halftime. And I was like, oh, the Clippers. Okay, cool. Because then you get this weird sense in you that like, oh, well, maybe the Phoenix Suns aren't that real. They show up at the Clippers. They're down 20 at halftime. And you're like, okay, is this more of an indictment on the Phoenix Suns? Maybe not being as good as we thought? Or is this the Clippers like starting to like rev things up? And then here you go. Lo and behold, they literally, I think they either tied it or cut it to two or three. I was Cut it watching to one. I think they of, cut it to one at I one point. point. Yeah, I was watching most of that game. And it was just like, I was glad for T. Lou, because I think T. Lou is a good coach. And even for coaches, as much as they hate those moments, they're such valuable teaching moments. It's like, hey, we were up by 27. We almost lost. What what happened? Let's go in there. Let's break down these plays, these quarters, these moments. Uh, so you're glad that those things happen early, so you can kind of perk up your players and kind of light a fire under them next time they 're up by twenty the next you know however many games
0: that's interesting because I thought if i 'm feeling this kind of nervousness are are they feeling it is it is this oh, going to yeah. be like an every is this going to be like an every time we have a big lead kind of thing, but you 're right, you know what you 're right. They pulled out the game on the road in front of a raucous crowd of Phoenix suns tarps uh, hanging mm-hmm. over the lower bowl. <laughs> And, uh, and, and maybe it is a teaching moment. All right, RJ, this you've given me enough time. Uh, stay safe out there. I, I look forward to hearing your voice on many, many broadcasts this year. You're one of the best already. It's kind of annoying. Um, thanks again for coming on the low post, my friend.
1: You, hey, thank you so much for having me. You're a rock star. You're amazing. Um, I enjoy coming on because I, people are always, uh, they hate me so much, but then I come on your podcast and you're like, yeah, hey, he's not that bad. He's there you bad. go
0: there you go i'm yeah. like a little i'm a little car wash for you all right rj yeah, be safe my friend
1: all right thank you guys